So I got a question for you. Or I got a trivia thing for you. Fire away. A true or false? Kesha once appeared on television alongside Terry Gross. And not, not just for like a, a passing, like they were captured in the same frame. Like they were like engaged in a thing together. My only memory of, is it Kesha or Kesha? It's Ke- K-E dollar sign H-A. That, that doesn't answer my question. <laughs> Under, <laughs> my understanding is it's Kesha. Okay. Um, I recall her being on Saturday Night Live. I think she, and she was dressed in some, I think it was an American flag outfit or something. Uh, that that's my only memory, and and Terry Gross was was not involved, so I so I'm not sure. Okay, I'm googling pictures of this. That is that American flag thing is definitely a thing that happened. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, in light of the past year, I don't. I'm surprisingly not as I'm not as outraged by that. Or or disappointed <laughs> by that, uh, where stuff has happened. Um, no, so a- as comes over the holidays when you there's no new news or other stuff to watch and you're kind of struggling for things to watch. Uh, apparently, YouTube just thinks I like watching clips of late night TV shows, and which which is not it's not entirely not entirely, wrong. Not entirely yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, even though I don't really care for Jimmy Fallon anymore after the whole uh, Trump show he did uh apparently he played a game of password with uh anthony anderson terry gross and kesha and it was it was very surreal to see them on the same stage together interesting i i have i have not seen this it's worth looking up you can put in the show notes and it's it's a good seven minutes of people's time she couldn't well i won't spoil it but she it, it was it was very amusing yeah we have uh we've just put it in the notes our first first note of 2018 Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um did you end up listening to the to the rehat not rehash. Like they did reruns, but they did kind of like a the Planet Money style thing where at the end they kind of did a where are they now or what's what's the rest of the story? Did you listen to the um week of repeats of the daily? I did. I my podcast time was particularly limited over the holidays, but that was the one that I, I made sure to to fit in. I was a couple of days behind at one point, but by the end of the week, I I had caught up. I thought those were very good. They are, yeah. And I think you know what's interesting. I think to the show's credit, the thing that stood out to me most was that I remembered each of those episodes, most of them in pretty vivid detail. Mm-hmm. That that show really sticks, which is kind of a concept we've touched on here and there, where it's harder for things news media whatever to stick now just because there's so much but the daily really it yeah it, it it's it's sticky mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. yeah it strikes it strikes the right balance of entertainment timeliness newsworthiness serious like everything like like it it is it's yeah it's it's very effective and it's very good the thing that I do sympathize with them on, I, I noticed on Twitter today that people were sort of hammering them for not touching on the Iran story yet. I, that, I, that has to be very, uh, di- has to be difficult for them to. How, how do you condense that into 10 minutes? Well, I, well, I'm sure they can find a way to present it on the show. I just don't know if they can do it literally overnight. I mean, it, and, you know, Mikey B, as you call him, responded on Twitter mm. saying that they were working on something, but that's what I sympathize with which is i'm sure that it's not on the program yet not because they just don't think it's an important story but just it literally takes time to 
produce a topic like that in a way that makes sense for that show. And again, you just can't throw that together overnight. And there have been only two episodes this year. Come on, people. Right. Like the episodes that they've been able to throw together very quickly are generally the ones where they're sort of just reiterating a story that was written for for the times, which is Mm -hmm. more often than not been Orange Man related. But Mm -hmm. that's... That's that's easier than a complex story like Iran. Yeah. Okay. So what else? I think. Uh, do you have any other stuff, or do you want to dive right into follow up? Now let's get into the uh, uh, the FU La- last year's FU. Mm, some of this straddled the line, or or <laughs> uh, across years or time timescapes. Across the timeline, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Amazon had quite a holiday season. So there's a, there's a few things here and i actually think this will this might be a more lengthy topic than than follow-up implies but uh amazon had a really strong holiday season where they uh the echo not the tap the dot was the best-selling product on amazon over the holiday period the fire tv stick which also has a, a a friend in the cylinder integration was second um and yeah, apparently uh, Prime Streaming, uh, Prime Video also had a really, really strong holiday season too. But of course, like this, this came from an Amazon press release. But of course, it had no actual hard numbers against it, so we just assume that it's all off the charts. But it was actually, it all seems really plausible, and it all seems like the anecdotal information that you can pull from that. Uh, I think says a lot, particularly the Amazon Echo stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I what was what was the um. What was the question I was responding to in our our, our last episode last year, where I, I said Amazon was my what was it the like most surprising company or most influential company of the year or something like that, or company with like or like the company to watch in twenty eighteen. I don't know we had we had a conversation about Amazon where the the takeaway was they've done a lot but they still have. A ton of room left and it, it feels like this story kind of validates that yeah yeah i mean because you 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 think eventually there's probably only so many people that can subscribe to prime and that kind of stuff so it's kind of how amazon continues to become more ingrained into people's lifestyle and that kind of stuff um and that in particular seems to kind of manifest itself through the hardware products that they make in the ancillary services that kind of link you into the Amazon e-commerce ecosystem. So, yeah, I mean, like, even though they've had uh, issues where like the Fire Phone and stuff like that have been complete flops, um, yeah, uh, the the Amazon Echo stuff is is where they just have not let up, and they've been pricing so aggressively um, that that seems to be a part of their uh, commerce strategy that's actually panning out. Because I don't know if it's Amazon or if it's Google specifically, but one of the two uh, like launched like a price war this holiday season where it was either the Google Home Mini or the Echo Dot was priced at 40% off. So throughout the whole entire holiday season, uh, you had the opportunity to buy um, either of those two products for 30 bucks, which is a really, really cheap price point to get into the smart home slash voice assistant space. It, I mean, totally, and you know, the the dot really does everything that the Echo does, and the speaker on the Echo is already not 
great. So the fact that the speaker on the dot is a bit worse is sort of a non-thing. But in terms of functionality, I mean, the dot's like a fully featured Lady in a Can product. So yeah, I, I agree that them getting um, kind of aggressive with that over the holidays was smart. And I, th- I think this was on the holiday special upgrade where uh, Mike and Jason talked a little bit about voice assistance and how Amazon's sort of in a unique position compared to Google and Apple where they don't really have a full-fledged ecosystem that comes with the device and that they sort of in their own way have to make their own slash get such a big lead over Google and Apple that they sort of just take the market before they even have a chance to. And I thought that was sort of an interesting take. I'm not 100% sure I agree with all of it, but I I hadn't ever thought of Amazon's position that way before. I think that's mostly true. And that kind of goes hand in hand uh, with uh, a short thing that MG Siegler posted, where, yeah, like Amazon, because the Fire Phone was a flop and they generally... I mean, Amazon, for most people, is just an e-commerce retailer that happens to do a few other things. So their like hooks into the customer aren't as far-reaching as either Apple or Google. Like Google, you're always logged into the internet universally with your Google account because you have Google Search, you've got YouTube. So you have a whole ton of uh, properties on the internet and places that you spend time on the internet that you're logged into the Google uh, ecosystem. And then, you, of course, Android exists. And then with Apple, you have the Mac, you have your iPhone, your iPad, all those other devices that have some variant of the Siri voice assistant. So that, even though Siri is uh, dramatically worse, and, and, and the, the friend of the canister thing is, isn't actually that great either, but it is a hell of a lot better than Siri. Like, no, so I mean, I think the ecosystem advantages in the fact that maybe people should be skeptical about Amazon's lead is true. But specifically to what like MG Siegler wrote, like it, it, with the price point of the Echo Dot and this whole like Alexa everywhere strategy is something that you can't really look past because when you think about what Apple's doing in kind of the like persistent always on like smart home space, like they've already delayed the HomePod, it already is not going to do a whole lot other than allegedly just sounding good as a speaker so therefore like just what what is its purpose because it's going to cost four times what a standard echo does or it's going to cost eight times what in uh, a regular price echo dot does so therefore it just it won't be as easy to just exist in somebody's home as these other products would because like purchasing a home pod and having that always plugged in Siri speaker is going to be something that's just so costly. Yeah, Jason Jason brought up that point too, where by positioning the HomePod as a premium music product, it really limits its com- appeal compared to a much more generalized device like the Echo. But then to also sort of close the, the loop on the ecosystem idea, I think on paper it sounds like a good idea to have a device like the HomePod, which can be more tightly integrated with all of your iCloud services and more tightly integrated with your Apple ID and all of your other Apple hardware. But I I would take it and turn it, as as you would say, mm-hmm. uh, having having stolen that from Merlin Mann. 
Oh, many things. Uh-huh. Um, I don't necessarily know that being locked into an ecosystem like either Apple's or Google's is necessarily a good thing. And the thing that comes to mind would be HomeKit, where, I mean, presumably, I mean, we'll see if we'll see how much HomeKit stuff the HomePod even does when it's released, because Apple hasn't really talked much about that. But let's let's assume for a minute that there is HomeKit support built into it. I mean, presumably all the smart home stuff that it's going to want you to do is really HomeKit focused as opposed to Amazon's approach, not having an ecosystem and they just sort of support basically everything. it, it, it It ends up making it ends up making it a bit more of a mess, especially in terms of initial setup and kind of understanding compatibility. But I would say that it gives the user a lot more options, which is especially nice with something like home automation where there isn't a clear, you know, best ecosystem to be a part of. Maybe, but also like I th- I think there kind of is an ecosystem with this kind of stuff. So even though the the protocols and that kind of stuff are pretty disparate at this point, if you're looking outside of a home kit, um, like Amazon does fairly heavily on its website. Like, let me uh, let me just search for something. The Eco B Thermostat Amazon. Like, so they have a thing on most smart home product pages where um, let me see, yeah, even let me send you a link to this. So even on the like in the title of the of the product page, and this is almost the same way of, of most smart home stuff. It actually says works with Amazon. Uh, insert product name. So with this kind of stuff, you have where it says like Amazon certified works with Amazon Alexa. So I think they kind of are pushing their own um, ecosystem, or at least uh, making Echo compatibility kind of a front and center piece of this. I think that uh, works with Amazon Alexa thing is kind of the same as HomeKit compatible. So I think I think Amazon is trying that. Yeah, well, that, okay, that's that's a fair point, but I think it's just a different way of approaching the same outcome. Where what I mean is, with a Google or an Apple device, you're always going to be pushed towards Apple services or Google's services, respectively. Whereas with Amazon. They're this is like the Netflix model, right? They're just out there trying to be on as much stuff as possible and as compatible with as many different services and devices as possible. I think that's maybe the case at this point. But again, once if Amazon continues to have a dominant position in this type of thing, I mean, look at what happened with like the Echo Show and their dispute that they're having with uh, with Google and YouTube. I mean, a- Amazon can be very very heavy handed when they need to. So if they want to start implementing protocol requirements and all this other kind of stuff. I think once they have a solid lead, because right now they have a dominant share of a fairly nascent market. So I think that could change. Potentially. Yeah. But my, my, my biggest thing here is simply that like, I'm, I'm just skeptical is the wrong word. I'm just, I'm super pessimistic on the home pod. Cause I don't, I still just don't understand why it exists. Because Apple, like Apple, has the Beats brand, so they don't need to make a first-party speaker. And even if they think this is some Trojan horse, where oh, with software they're going to make it better over time, it's still too expensive to compete with the other offerings in the space. Even when you look at like the Sonos Play One, and this isn't Apple's strength, and you know they're not going to do it right. So just what 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 is even what is even the point of this? 
I, I think it's a big mistake making it a premium music focused device. I just, I, I agree with Jason. I just don't know how many people that really speaks to. Yeah. I think the smart home stuff and other AI assistant features of a device like the Google Home or the Amazon Echo is what much more people would be interested in and find utility in as opposed to just a, you know, fancy music speaker. Like that's why I've, I've, I've always, I would like in some ways that I compare it to Sonos, which I think you may have just done as well, where and like I think a lot of what Sonos does is really interesting and um, they make high quality products, but I just, I just don't necessarily know how many people are interested in that sort of high fidelity speaker market. I mean, there's, there's definitely some, and I always caveat these conversations with the fact that I live in a small one bedroom apartment and I'm a considerate apartment dweller. So I, I don't, <laughs> I don't really have the opportunity to take advantage of higher quality speakers. And so maybe some of this will change when the, my home environment changes, but I just, I find a device like the Echo much more interesting than a Sonos or a um, HomePod. Well, but that's again where I think Amazon's extensible platform and the way that they're approaching it makes the most sense because they have products that exist at every price point. And even though Amazon, and I think rightly so, is not focusing on uh, audio fidelity and like in overall like speaker quality because they're willing to license out and partner with somebody else to have somebody else make a better product for the people that want that type of thing. So if Apple were to do this, like, and also like, I mean, uh, not to move too far off the point, but like it, I just don't ever see Apple ever selling anything for $49 that is functional. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I don't think their Siri for the home or whatever a non-music focused device would be called would have to be $49. It could but be. But I think, I think it kind of needs to be because like it, you, when you look at the Apple TV where they allegedly care about that market, um, like it, it costs $179 to get the 4k version. So like, I just, I don't think Apple ever is willing to move to a price point that will force adoption in this type of this type of area. I like, I think filling a whole home with one echo and a bunch of echo dots for like a total of $300 and your entire house is covered versus the cost of three fifty for one speaker. I like, I think that's just the math is different and I don't think Apple's hearts in it. And I don't think they're willing to ever sell something at a compelling price point like that. Cause they're too busy. You busy selling you an $80 uh, adapter that allows you to make your MacBook one functional again. <laughs> This will this will lead into perfectly to our uh, super rosy Apple discussion. 2018 is the year of uh, of of loving Apple again. But yeah. just real quick, so by by the numbers with Amazon, so they uh, they shipped five billion items uh, with Prime in 2017. Um, uh, let's see, they have like their Kindle borrowed book stuff. Um, actually, I think that was was that the only real like. Did they give any other numbers other than that? They gave there was some one other hard number, I think. I think there was some numbers around streaming, right? Like they, they cited some Thursday night football number. Yeah. So like, I actually think we talked about this last episode where apparently like, yeah, when, when they stream or they simulcast the NFL network Thursday night football game, apparently 17 million people watched that. Apparently 5 million people 
bought something that relates to Twitch Prime loot. Whatever the what? Never mind. What the hell that is? What's an Overwatch Golden loot chest? <laughs> is that oh, English? Oh, oh. <laughs> Overwatch is a game that I think you've asked me about before. But what's a golden loot chest? Well, so loot loot boxes are. Remember the whole controversy with Battlefield is that DLC? Battlefront Two. Well, it's it's no, it's where you either earn or, as is becoming more often the case, buy with real money often these boxes, which will give you some random item or items that usually are just. And I think it, if I think with Overwatch, this is the case where they're all just cosmetic. But then the whole thing with Battlefront 2 was it was also like progression stuff too. That was Battlefront, the one where you had to spend $120 to play as Darth Vader. <laughs> right. Okay. Like, cause, and I'm not saying that to be like, uh, uh, sorry, like I just, I don't know what Battlefront is. I, I keep forgetting if it's the Star Wars one or if it's something else. It's, it's the Star Wars. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Singular. Uh huh. Um, and then lastly, before we move off of this, uh, our president wants Crooked Amazon to pay more, uh, cause apparently like that, this actually bugged me because isn't Amazon's reliance and, and a partnership with the USPS, a very mutually beneficial arrangement. I, I would certainly think so. Yes. Like if they're moving that many packages and they're expanding into Sunday delivery, which means more hours for the people employed by the usps and if i'm not mistaken amazon actually built some distribution centers that helped with last mile delivery of usps stuff i'm pretty sure that partnership is a net good so therefore uh the the orange man in chief is just mad about the washington post reporting act that's yeah that's that's what i was going to come back to is this undoubtedly is tied to his hatred of the washington post there's no way you can separate anything he says about amazon from that yeah but I don't know. Maybe maybe they need to pay more. He knows taxes better than the greatest CPA. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. All right. And then this is I I, I lumped this into follow up. I'm not actually sure if it is or not. But uh, let's talk about Gene Munster. Oh, Gene. Yeah. Gene. Friend. Yeah. Friend. Friend of the pod. In, influential tech analyst. Uh, in, yeah. <laughs> oh, I I chuckled I chuckled at that a couple of times today. Because oh, phew. oh, because like he. He was like, no, he like, okay. So Gene Munster, for anybody who, man, have you been following a- a- Apple at all over the past 15 years? You should know who Gene Munster is. He used to be from Piper Jaffrey and he, his beat was covering uh, Apple almost exclusively. He actually was fairly accurate a lot of the time, but his whole claim to fame was that he was the man who, well, people who listen to the show should know, but he, he is the one who said Apple was going to make a real, honest to goodness, fifty-inch television set. And he he asked he he talked about it for literally a decade. And I think even on a couple of conference calls, when he got the chance to ask, he <laughs> asked about um, like unannounced products and uh, potential of Apple making a television. So it's pretty good. So he he's got a long history, but apparently he is now he he branched away from. Um, uh, Piper Chaffrey, and he now has his own company, uh, Loop Ventures, uh, L-O-U-P. And he has said that, quote, Target is the ideal offline partner for Amazon for two reasons, blah, 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 uh, shared demographics and uh, more manageable and comprehensive store count. Um, so he thinks Amazon is going to buy Target. So we we love to 
poke fun at Gene and I, I think I think he's actually a, a real smart guy and just got a little too deep in on that Apple TV stuff. Um, so with that being said, I I actually I don't know when I read this article and and read his his note, I actually kind of think that's an interesting idea. I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy. I think it's crazy, like or I don't think it's crazy because I think in this like because in a post. And I'm not even, like in a post 2017 world, and I'm not even joking. I'm not saying like anything about politics. Like I would not have guessed that Amazon would have acquired a grocery store chain, even though it's an upscale one. So I like so maybe that makes this idea less crazy. But I still I just don't like he might and I and I know on a sales basis like Walmart is is an order of magnitude larger than Target. But like if you replace Walmart with Target, like I just it seems to impractical just because like target is a very um like it's it's an independent successful standalone business and even though amazon is making a lot of inroads into e-commerce and all kind of stuff like most things still happen in brick and mortar stores and target is not like i i could be wrong about the financials but like they're not losing money every quarter they're not struggling financially they may be trying to figure out what the balance between online and brick and mortar uh, brick and mortar commerce is and trying new things but i don't really see where they're in trouble in the same way that maybe um whole foods was when everybody else figured out how to do organic stuff so i guess maybe the fact that target is a successful standalone business means that this just isn't necessarily something that they need and i don't really see this being like some like some type of hostile takeover thing. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think that this would come from Target struggling so much as it would both companies realizing that together they could, they could work better together than they would independently. And I, the, the, the key piece to this is, I think, in this quote that's in the CNBC link that we'll put in the notes, where Gene says... Amazon sees the future of retail as a combination of mostly online and some offline. And I think that's that's smart. I think that's the key where clearly the future is online, but there's always going to be use cases. I'm well by by always I mean for the foreseeable future until I guess drones magically deliver everything instantly. But for the foreseeable <laughs> for the foreseeable future, there are going to be use cases where it makes sense to go into a a physical retail store. So if you're Amazon and you offer sort of the, again, to steal one of your phrases, best in class online experience, Mm. but, (laughs) but then, you know, also have a solid offline experience. I just, I think that's really interesting. And I, I, you're, you're totally right in that the logistics of it are probably just a complete nightmare, but if they could, pull it off it, it, again would be I, I just i keep using the same word it should be really interesting sure it would be interesting and, and like that 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 phrase that amazon sees a future of retail as a combination of mostly online but some offline like that 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 is absolutely true and that does make sense and i think that is where if one third the square footage of a whole foods location becomes an amazon like returns slash like first party like the crap the 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 fine goods and services they sell like i think that's fine but i just don't see where amazon takes over whatever 1600 
target locations. Like I, I think overall for the American consumer, like removing target from the equation and those becoming like branded Amazon locations or something. Like I just, I don't see how that's a benefit to Amazon or, or target or the U S consumer. Well, I don't know. I think viewing Amazon's offline retail ambitions as just simply setting up little return kiosks inside of Whole Foods is that's a little narrow focused, I think. Or or whether it be like the the back of house ends up using those as like last mile delivery centers or a showcase for the the stuff that the app uh, that Amazon makes. Like I mean like it, I'm not saying it, it's just like some customer service desk where you can go take your stuff back, but like I, it, I I don't see it yet. I, I guess I just don't see how taking an existing functioning retailer that services a ton of customers and a wide customer base is 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 a is a net positive. I mean, I, I guess I don't I don't really have a great sense of how directly in competition Target and Amazon are. Well, but if but if Amazon owns Target and they're like, I mean, like Target stops being Target. Like, like, what what benefit does Am that does Amazon have of just running an existing brick and mortar retailer that has a whole like I I just uh, uh, well I don't think let's... that's that's not how they would run it I don't think okay so what does it look like what is what does the target Amazon acquisition look like like what do you, what do you think changes because Amazon's not just going to run Target as is no this isn't it's not it's not going to operate like Pixar does inside Disney Target is not the of Amazon. Well, we would lose. What, what is what is? Uh, I've been trying to think of what's Target's home brand. Uh, up, and brand? Up, up, up and up, up and up. Archer Farms and Market Pantry. Wow, very good. I love, I, I love Target. You could have just been making those up, but that's that sounds right. No, no, it's very good. Yeah, but I, I will only buy name brand Advil. I will not buy the up and up kind. <laughs> We've talked about this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you would lose those, presumably. Which yeah, I, guess... I don't. I don't want Amazon Basics Advil. Oh no! We, we've heard about your HDMI. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> gonna, on the bottle, they're gonna say it's exactly the same thing, but fuck <laughs> no, it's not. It won't support 4K headaches. Ooh, that's that's pretty good. I'm pretty proud of that one. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, uh, let's we'll write write this down as a proposed show title. Anyway, uh, so but yeah, Blake. Well, no, just tell me, or sorry, just like just paint a picture. Like, what does so this happens? What does Five years from now, what does a Target location look like? Is it still called Target? Like, just what what is what is what happens? I think the key thing would be, almost no matter what you want to buy, what you would do is go to the Amazon app, and now in addition to being able to get it two day shipped or maybe same day shipped, they could also then surface up nearby former Target locations now. I don't know what they would be called now, but the Amazon target locations and give you options to pick up and store right away. Like base, basically making it so that they're plugging as many holes as they can in the downsides to shopping online. But then why, why can't that just be greatly expanded Amazon lockers inside Whole Foods? It potentially could, but then also think about like, you know, people point out often that Best Buys and Costco's, to a lesser extent, have basically become showrooms for Amazon purchases with TVs and the like. You know, what if Target could be both the showroom and where you end up purchasing the TV from? Because say that you look at the TV in the store, 
but maybe you have a small car or you just want to think about it for a little while. And then when you do ultimately decide to buy, instead of having to, you know, borrow a car or go back into the store to purchase it, you can then just buy it right there on, online from Amazon and have it delivered. So again, like, like identif identifying all those weaknesses in online retail and, and closing them. Cause the, cause really most of the flaws shopping online are <laughs> resolved with shopping offline. Well, so let me flip this around. Like, so then based off, like, so I, I kind of understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it 100%. But so then why doesn't Amazon buy to, uh, Best Buy? That seems like a much more logical choice. If Amazon is, is if Amazon is afraid of showrooming and th and that is the type of like cuz you, you like it does every target become an Amazon fresh store? Like that doesn't make any sense. No, but I th I think I think Amazon has shown through the purchase of Whole Foods and through what what's their like grocery delivery service called? Amazon, Amazon Fresh, Fresh or, yeah. or Prime Fresh. Yeah, they, they've they shown ambition beyond electronics. I think Best Buy would be too narrow-focused for them. I think they want to be more generalist than that. And it, it, but, I think, but I think Target is too broadly focused. No, I disagree. And, and what, mm. what does Target sell that Amazon doesn't? Well, the uh, oh, well, what does anybody sell that Amazon doesn't? Right, that's my point. I, I, I think but that's, Target, but, but that's the problem. But but that's that's why a nation full of distribution centers solves that problem. Trying to have all that stuff under one roof doesn't. Like what brick and mortar store, maybe other than Walmart, is most comparable to Amazon other than Target? Nobody. Like, right, but that that's not. They're all they're already almost an unofficial extension of what Amazon does. Still vehemently disagree, but this, we're we're, we're going to go in circles. So, <laughs> uh, to give people time back in their day, we're going to move on. We're mm -hmm. going to parking lot this. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. So thank thank you, Gene. Um. You threw something in here about uh, a little bit of follow up that uh, Gruber had on Daring Fireball about the um, possible convergence of Mac and iOS either software bundles or like actually being the same app across all platforms. What was that about? Yeah. His, his takeaway was largely what we discussed where German's article was just, it was too vague to really derive any sort of hard facts out of it. But what he then sort of spun it into was what he thought something like this would be, which I thought was really smart where Amazon, or Amazon, geez, <laughs> Apple, um, yeah, somebody's it, on the Bezos payroll. <laughs> the the Washington Post payroll. Um, he, jeez, uh, Apple. Here we go. Um, well, we'll we'll fix all this in post. You better the, not. The, the idea is that Apple's much more likely to build a shared framework between the Mac and iOS as opposed to some sort of shared UI. Um, or said a different way, they could also build something like uh, making it easier to build for both platforms simultaneously, being able to push out like a single binary, but then ultimately the UI and the experience across both apps would still be unique, just like they are today. And I, you know, if you, if you had to bet on the direction of this stuff, that that seems like a much smarter take than ios apps just like running in a windowed mode on the mac or something like that yeah i th hmm. 
Yeah, I think that is probably mostly true. And that and that is what most developers are probably asking for, which is more uh more uh overlap in terms of like development frameworks and stuff between uh iOS and OS ten. So maybe more code could be recycled. I, I never really read the the German article to suggest that this would be kind of like a because how do how do Chromebooks allegedly run Android apps? Have you ever seen that or no? Uh, I I don't know. Yeah, like I mean, I I, I could be mistaken, but it was mostly kind of. Actually, I, I have no idea, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. But yeah, I don't I don't think it was ever suggested that they would run just kind of like uh, as though you're running like an Xcode simulator or something. But I don't know, like if if as long I'm optimistic as long as this doesn't lead to more stripped down apps for OS 10. Like I, I'm all for making it easier for developers to reuse their work and kind of make an easier transition to making proper uh, apps for, for Mac OS 10. But um, if that ends up altering kind of, I, I'm an old person. This doesn't, this doesn't even matter. It's, it's, uh, but the Macs could be done in 10 years. It doesn't matter. Well, I think the, the key line from Gruber's article is, uh, let's find it here. The, the truth is that this effort by Apple is almost certainly not about cross-platform applications, but instead cross-platform frameworks for developers. It's developer news, not user news. I think, and I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think Apple has gone out of their way to say that at least for the time being, and at least for the foreseeable future, they see the Mac and iOS being very distinct platforms and undoubtedly they will continue to share popular features across both platforms but in a way that makes sense i mean really there's there's no single feature that works exactly the same way on mac and ios they're they're both catered to whichever platform that feature is running on and i i think i think and i think that's i that's that's apple's smart take from where the industry's gone compared to like what Microsoft's tried to do, which is like the one, you know, one device to rule them all kind of thing. Apple continues to recognize that separate devices for separate use cases and, and separate software platforms for those devices is what's going to lead to the best experience. And I would say that's mostly true, but I think photos.app undermines your case a little bit there where it's written almost, it, it is a, a, a unique app, to OS 10, but it is uh, limited in such a way because of the way it wants to mimic and uh, have parity with the iOS version. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a new year. So you you'd thrown in here um, that you have many many New Year's resolutions. <laughs> so I would like to know what they are. So, so many. Can, I'll book to, I'll bookmark this episode and we'll 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 see we'll see if we're still around in December. So I so I actually I I don't um, and the reason I don't goes back to something that um, I had thought that Merlin Man had came came up with this on a um, podcast, but I, I guess this was something that he actually wrote for Forty Three Folders back in the day, and we'll we'll put that article in the notes from back from like 2011. But you know he 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 outlines a lot of really smart things about New Year's resolutions, you know things like or not New Year's resolutions specifically, but like resolutions in general. Like you know, it's very common for uh, your first attempt to not go well, and he makes this kind of kind of funny analogy to 
how like the first pancake you you make always turns out really crappy but that's not a reason to then just stop making pancakes because the second third and fourth ones are likely to come out come out better um but the the the, the big thing that he emphasized which is which has really stood with me is you know the, the the changing of the calendar or the changing of the year or some other type of artificial boundary to start a resolution is not a way to set yourself up for success because either you're using that as a tool to delay starting a resolution or if the date is already come or is about to come and you force yourself to start on like that magical January 1st date you haven't necessarily set yourself up to succeed and instead you've just set this artificial starting time instead of thinking, you know, am I even ready to start whatever I'm trying to do here? Do I have the right tools? Am I in the right mindset? And so his his big thing is, you know, resolutions should just be something that when you want to do them, you do them and you go about tackling them in a in a smart way that's independent of some arbitrary date. So I over the years I I have tried to get to better at that where and I think like my use of streaks over the last year or two is is evidence of that where when I want to try to work on something I I think about what I need to do and then start working on it when it makes sense not just when you know the the year changes hmm. that makes a heck of a lot of sense so let me know there could be some cases where the start of a calendar year is the right time to start something but you shouldn't you know force something like you know thing that like the, the obvious ones that everybody gets into right are the eating healthier working out more etc cetera, etc cetera. like that's those are things that are not in any way dependent on january 1st like that's stuff that you can be doing and should be doing any time of the year <sighs> yeah yeah you, 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 uh you or sorry merlin by proxy of you is, is right um, I will say I, I don't make New Year's resolutions, but there is one thing, and this is not a New Year thing, but I do enjoy, and this is probably just like, uh, like just mental, like, uh, what's, 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 uh, some sort of like a mental drug that like, I, I do enjoy cutoffs and date changes as a means of resetting uh for things that you do want to accomplish i do agree with the with the thought that waiting for an arbitrary date change is not something that you should do to prevent yourself or delay progress that you can make on something but i do think that sometimes whether it's a new month a new week or whatever it is it is sometimes easier to use that as a way to allow yourself to have somewhat of a clean slate potentially it's definitely a case-by-case -case thing but again yeah. i think the other point he's making is even if you're not using a date as a delay tactic dates can also be unhelpful in the sense that if you if you're pushing yourself to i guess to use your word reset something or, or whatever it is you're doing like you you want to make sure that you're actually set up to do that 
Otherwise, otherwise, you're just going to set yourself up for failure by feeling like you need to reset or start something on a at a particular time, as opposed to just starting it or resetting it when you're ready. No, that that is totally appropriate. So if you're if you're aiming for a target of something, that still means that you do the work now of thinking, what do I need to do to make sure I am actually successful at what I'm going to do? Right. Not just it's February first and uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be a master chef, or I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going to. Well, you're. I mean, you're already well on your way to becoming a master chef. Most definitely, but that that's that's not public knowledge. No, or we won't no, we no, won't no. speak of that here. No, no. I, I I am already as of March first going to be an expert corgi wrangler, and that's also to be determined. <laughs> oh man! All right, Re- restaurateur and corgi wrangler. Hold on, shit. Let me log into LinkedIn. What's what's my? Are we connected on LinkedIn? I don't know if we are. We should be. I have no fucking idea. I <laughs> I, I log into LinkedIn once. Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> Moving on. It's gonna, this conversation's gonna get weird. Okay. So yeah, so that's 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 New Year's resolutions, mostly. But if you want to get something done, fucking do it. Yeah, exactly. And 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 set and, and set yourself up to succeed. And here's the thing: like I, uh, I personally should not be speaking. Like there are some things that I actually think in my life I have been successful with that strategy at. Some things are harder because a lot of things like are like it. It is not necessarily like there. There could be a lot of different obstacles or things that uh, could help you be successful or less successful. But like a lot of things are just kind of. Just, just do it. Like, like Adidas always advertises. <laughs> I think. Hmm. I think, mm-hmm. think, think you might have the wrong brand. Oh yeah, who who made the Fuel Band? That was Nike. Oh yeah, Garmin. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> think okay. you're think you're thinking of Fitbit. Oh no, I'm thinking of uh, a Pebble. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the, the uh, they they made a steel version of the watch for no good reason. Okay, remember remember e ink screens on watches. <laughs> I do, I do. Poor Pebble. Um, poor Pebble. I really, I really liked my Pebble. I, I know. I, I don't even have enough information about this space to troll you effectively, <laughs> but to just know that I want to. Just, I felt so bad about the Pebble because it was like one of those rare times in technology where, like, you just, you literally know that what you're currently using is 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 going to be obsolete. I mean, like, there's always that, like, general idea in technology that there's always going to be something new, but literally, you just would look at this thing and go, I know exactly the type of product Apple could build that would just completely <laughs> just decimate this thing. And that's exactly what oh, they did. Yeah, like what Amazon's doing with the Echo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except it's not always. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Roasted. Okay. Let's talk. Speaking of, uh, of, of Apple, let's, let's talk about the, the, it, it, the big story of the month, I guess. Ugh, yeah. So, uh, to to briefly give some background, uh, for a long time, people or forever, people have always been saying that oh, every single software version that Apple makes, uh, it's it's like when when a new version of iOS comes out, uh, they're they're sabotaging the or this is the conventional wisdom of of non technology people. Uh, they're sabotaging the old phones. This is making my phone run slower. Apple just wants me to buy another phone. Uh, Apple, Apple, uh, Tim Cook sleeps on a pile of money on top of a Casper mattress. It, it's just, it, it, Apple's evil, but I'm going to keep giving them my money. And then ev- everybody like us, who the, the enlightened T-word people would always be, no, no, it's, it, that's just, this is just how technology works sometimes. And Apple's not, definitely not doing that to your phone. 
but it turns out that they actually were with many asterisks about it. So I don't know if you remember, um, cause since you upgrade to a new phone every year, like most people do, um, or sorry, but like, like most, uh, like most people, T-word don't. people do, oh, sorry, well, most, yeah. most, t- <laughs> most people don't T word people do. And uh, with my busted iPhone seven, I apparently am no longer in that group, but, um, you never experienced it, but there was a thing last year where a lot of iPhone sixes and some six S's would have this thing where they would just randomly shut off. Like there would be, it would have 40% battery and it would just turn itself off. And this was a really annoying thing for a lot of people. And I would hear people complaining about it all the time, friends, coworkers, other people. Like it was just like, this, this is so silly. I plug it back in and it totally has charged. Like what, what, what's, what's this Apple? I'm, I'm going to go buy a, a, a pixel or something. And then Apple released a software update in like iOS 10.2 or something where that no longer happened. And I don't know what the release notes were or how upfront they were about what was happening there, but apparently they released or they, they incorporated some um, uh, software that would throttle the processor clock speed amongst other things uh, to reduce uh, power draw on the battery when the operating system could tell that the battery was no longer able to provide uh, peak energy output um, because that was the issue where the the phone was demanding more power than uh, an aged or in Apple's terminology now a degraded battery could provide. So that was a good solution and a net benefit for the end user because their phones weren't spontaneously restarting, which is a really uh, annoying bug or or issue that your phone could have. So that that overall is a positive thing. But um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Reddit post where somebody was saying something about they had done tests or something where it looks like uh, the clock speed on their phone was getting throttled depending on the age or operating system version of uh, the iPhone that they had. And then the developer of the Geekbench software went into their logs and and did some aggregate testing across... um, the benchmark results that people had sent in about iPhones and published some rudimentary stuff about the iPhone 6 and stuff running iOS 10.2 and later. And they could definitely see that uh, a significant number of phones were being throttled in that particular way. In terms of the end user, they had received no communication from Apple that this was happening at all. So is that a just summary? It is. So I, I think... What this all comes down to is bad communication. I think what what everybody thought, everybody's, you know, to, to use your Nate Silver phrase that you like to use a lot, to use your priors coming into this. Mm-hmm. Signal versus the noise. <laughs> no, you know, nothing's really changed here. There's there's still the the opinion that Apple slows down old phones to sell new hardware, which continues to not be true. But because of Apple's poor communication, they've sort of just strengthened people's existing opinions on on this topic. And I was thinking about this today, and I think my my immediate reaction was well this was bad communication and they could have just fixed this by simply getting out in front of it 
But it's a little, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a little trickier than that because let, let's, let's, you know, alternate reality here. Let's, which would be good for lots of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sticking to this particular topic, um, had Apple gotten out ahead of the story and said, listen, there's this issue as batteries age, which is the reality of all batteries across all electronic devices where your iPhone can potentially shut off if if the system's not getting the power that it needs. So in order to not have this happen, we are going to use our software to smartly throttle your phone when we feel like this might happen. If people, I mean, people would lose their shit. People would completely distort that statement, no matter how smartly it was written. It's because you used the T word. Which T word is that? In in uh in so many contexts, people hate the word throttling. Oh, the, the, another another T word here. Yeah, but no, yeah, you you are absolutely a, like a thousand percent right that like just there is no good solution to this because it cuz like this isn't necessarily well actually do you think this is a design flaw on the phone or do you think well i guess i don't like is this is this an issue with other phones or is this a yes kind of yeah i guess i guess that's what i don't have that's what i, I mean well i i know that every battery no matter what phone it's in ages but i guess i what i don't know enough about is whether that can cause like the system to shut down like it does with the iPhone apparently. I think Apple like one of the things like they actually with like their A series of processors, I think they're actually like super effective at getting like just so much power out of these chips. So maybe I mean like that that when the battery degrades apparently is kind of biting them in the ass a little bit, which is like I mean like it, kudos to them for doing as well as they can with processor performance per watt and that kind of stuff. But apparently, yeah, that makes them sensitive to, um, yeah, degraded batteries in the future. But yeah, but like fixing this issue, it's like it's like fix trying to fix Social Security or entitlement programs. Like it's you're you're screwed either way because either you're gonna do the hard things that actually fix the systemic issues and the problem, which is either you have to confront the realities of having sealed in batteries and how you logistically offer people a sensible option to replace them while balancing the uh the need to push people to new devices or you have to do the really hard thing of saying yeah you're a large part of your phone is a consumable item that will eventually need to be replaced and therefore that requires like more tax money like it's 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 nobody nobody ever wants anything taken away from them and they feel entitled to it forever so therefore batteries should last forever and apple should never do anything that is perceived as a slight against the user hmm like it's it's tough because like and I've read a lot of stuff about this where like how on earth would what dialogue box would make this okay like what because like because <laughs> I totally we're currently slowing down your phone <laughs> like because I totally like you're totally right and and this has been a consensus across the internet like it's just like this is a really bad communication problem and I think Marco Arment has been like I've been agreeing with him a lot agreeing with him a lot lately but he's he's been he's like this is going to be a problem for like a decade. Because this confirms, like, every person in, like, your, like, in your family's group of friends that's kind, that's not, like, really, like, a, a technology person, but they're kind of, like, the person who, like, they know the tricks. They know how to quit apps on their phone. They're showing people all these weird bad habits. Like, they have just been given the ammo to confirm that, uh, yeah, a- a- Apple is screwing you. 
and 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 here's what's going on so that rumor is going to stick for like for a really long time this this is the xbox one drm thing this is Microsoft com- completely. So Microsoft, when they first announced the Xbox One, oh yeah, One, you, you you can't turn off, you can't you can't ever disconnect your Ethernet cable, otherwise the the, the console's going to eat itself. We, yeah, we, I remember that. We have a product for you. It's called the Xbox 360. That's literally what, what that was their initial response to people, people's criticism of the always being connected, you, the console where you you know couldn't resell your games or anything. And they they you know they completely one hundred percent scrapped all of that. The Xbox One works exactly like every other console including every other xbox that came before it but here we are four years later five years later and people still think that's that, that is, that's still why they would rather buy a playstation 4 than an xbox one that's the reason i haven't bought an xbox one <laughs> well that and you don't play games but that too but that's really the drm uh-huh but I mean, yes, like this, this could be a problem for a very long time, but like, I guess like it, in seeing that it's a communication problem and, and I would agree with that assessment, I just, I, I've thought about it a long time and I, I can't think of like what dialogue box, like how, how would you have phrased it? Like you're, you're, you're in, in some marketing meeting slash engineering meeting, like, and you're just like, we need to deliver this shit sandwich to people and we need to tell them that their phone's gonna get slowed down. So what, wh- what pops up? Well, I guess the the part that I would need to understand first is whether the syst- like your system shutting down when it's not getting enough power, whether like is that really an impossible thing to fix in iOS? Like that's that's what I would first challenge. I mean, other than just reducing the amount of dr- uh, the amount of power that the phone is asking from the battery, no. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like that that was legitimately a big problem with that generation of phone. Like after the battery was like eighteen months old. Yeah, forty percent. And you you open up uh, Snapchat and it's trying to do too many things at once, and your phone turns off. So I mean, it's tricky because like uh, like what like you say that um, due to your due to your battery's age, your phone can no longer perform at its best to prevent sh- random shutdowns. We are going to slow down. Like like well, that's really wordy. But like how do what's a, what's a pithy thing that you like what do you say i I, yeah that's that's the problem i I don't think there is something you can say yeah as as bad as that would be i think it would still be way better than the position they're in now oh most definitely i mean it's tricky just like it it is it is damned if you do damned if you don't but it's it's you're more damned if you don't in this case yeah because right now it really looks like because and the thing is oh the the media the, the 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 fake news and in the crooked media they're they're reporting at like the media has always been really bad at reporting technology stuff it uh, and and this is a subject where actually like nuance kind of matters and it has been reported so badly where it is like literally like the whoever you know like you know how every like local news station always has like the consumer affairs guy who's uh-huh. always like uh, this furniture store to put one over on you like it's it's that kind of stuff where they're like you know apple is slowing down phones or app apple like apple is making your phone slow it's not just you like all this kind of stuff that's not going into like uh like uh impedance and 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 peak power that a lithium-ion but like no, nobody's going into that level of detail or like cause people think everything should work as much as it as the same way it did the moment that you got it they they like they think their their Maytag washing machine should work for forever, and that's not how phones are. That's not how technology is. Like your washing machine isn't getting 
new Instagram filters and, and, and new cloud backups added to it all the time. If it did, that'd be great. That would solve my problem. We'll talk about in the next segment. But like, it's just, that's not reality. But most, like just the reporting system, like there aren't enough skilled people reporting this stuff to ever allow the story to to be reported accurately. But again, like you say, like that is a lot of this is the way, like leaving it for somebody else to find out rather than Apple saying it first opens them up to like 80% of this. Yeah, it it, it really does. And you're you're going to hate me for making this comparison, but it's it's just the one that comes comes to mind. I mean this this I I think was a big problem with Clinton in the election was she didn't hmm. she didn't get enough ahead out of ahead of the email story. She didn't she didn't own up to it as quickly as she should have and she wasn't as transparent about it and instead she let others take control of the narrative and then try to scramble and fix it after the fact. Like I maybe this is me being naive but and I and I, I do think the story was horribly reported, so I don't mean to dismiss that. But I, I think, I think it would have been a much different outcome had she, as soon as it was becoming clear that this was going to become an issue, do some type of live. I don't know if it's a interview or a Q and A or just a speech, whatever it is. You outline exactly what happened. You outline the reasons why you realize it was a mistake. Here's what you're going to do to cooperate with any investigation that may come from this. But instead, she kind of just sort of was like, well, this isn't a big deal. Let's move on. And it, it, I think that ended up making it worse. Uh, um, oh, I disagree. Well, like, hmm. uh, again, damned if you do, damned if you don't like this Apple situation. But I just think you put yourself in a worse position if you effectively stay quiet about it and try to speak up after the fact i get I, I get where you're coming from and this past year has probably like pushed so many things i knew out of my brain so i don't remember the early days of the email scandal that clearly but in that particular analogy i think her, the, the her opponents would have it would have been uh, just doubling down on Benghazi coverage. There would have been some other stupid bullshit issue. <laughs> so I, I, I disagree. Yeah. I, I think it's an imperfect analogy, but I get it. Like messaging is a lot of the, th- like it's yeah, proper communication and and being proactive in your messaging is really is really tricky. I think maybe maybe this is like a Chipotle, I think maybe Chipotle is a. <laughs> I'm not talking about queso. You're right. I, th- I think yeah. Chipotle is maybe a closer analogy. Because weren't they kind of cagey and weird when like there was like some like food poisoning in Arizona or something? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I they, they weren't. I don't think cagey, but they just they just weren't as transparent about it as they needed to be. Yeah. What were we talking about? I I, I don't know. We should just probably just start over again. <laughs> I think. Yeah, you better not delete any of that. Oh no no no! We're <laughs> we're keep, keeping all of this. Uh, this is all gold butter emails okay so my my ending thought do you have anything else on this no i i think i think that's it okay so here's a thought that occurred to me uh like a week ago and and i and i want your take on it uh and and this this is mostly prompted by this particular incident but also kind of just other stuff related to apple recently do you think apple's an exceptional company or a regular company i think they're an exceptional company why I generally do think that 
they have the user in mind. And what I mean by that is when they say they don't want to sell your identity and your preferences, they would rather just sell you hardware and software that you're going to enjoy. Like I think I think they're genuine about that. I think they're genuine about their environmental efforts. Um, I even do take them at their word. And Tim Cook has has talked about this literally on investor calls, which is like the last place in the world you would want to say something like this, where he talks about how it's not always about the bottom line for them. And that's that's not good for like public CEOs don't don't say that, particularly on investor calls. So there's no there's like there'd be no reason for Tim Cook to say that unless he meant it in that type of environment. But I think, you know, you think that's really true? I do. But I don't think, but being exceptional doesn't mean you're perfect. Hmm. But it does mean that you're better than a lot of your competitors, which I, I think Apple in general is. And there's a reason why basically all of my personal data is with Apple and not Google. What's, what's the, uh, what's your email address at what? Well, but I see, I, but I, but, but email, I don't really consider to be all that private. Because email, I'm sending to all kinds of random people every day. Yeah, true, true. Huh, yeah. Uh, hmm. In terms of, well, so let me let me respond to the immediate thing. Like, so, do you, do you honestly believe the thing when he says the that that not everything's about money? Like, do you, do you don't like if that were true, wouldn't that inform and, and and alter a lot of the things that Apple chooses to do? Like, do you think they would, if, if it wasn't about the money for them and them trying to push well, so hard but, into but, subscription but, revenue, well, like, why would there be more though. than five Hold gigs on. of iCloud? Hold on. There, there's a difference between it not being all about money versus it not being about money at all. I mean, of course, Apple is highly, highly motivated by money and by profits. I mean, of, of course they are. They wouldn't be where they are if they weren't. But that's not the only thing they think about. Yes, you're right. It is dumb that you only get five gigabytes of free on iCloud storage. Yes, that needs to be fixed. Yes, they were way, way too slow in upping the storage capacities of the lowest in iPhone. And, and that storage capacity probably is still too low. There's all kinds of things that they do that feels like they're kind of nickel and diming you. Um, and, they, and they need to address some of that stuff. But I don't think it's, I don't think any of that's done in a super nefarious way or a super profit hungry way hmm. okay yeah i mean do you do you disagree do you do you do you not think apple's exceptional i'm debating that a lot more than i used to like in in in, in and i i know it's weird to complain this much about an unreleased product but the home pod like really it keeps sticking out as just wondering what is apple doing like i don't know like it's just like this this one controversy like i like i like again the communication was weird and it's kind of like i think they handled like i think they handled it as well as samsung did the note 7 thing which is to say they did okay but like i don't know like it, yeah like the home is, is is a product without direction that shows that apple again is just wants to sell you another expensive thing like i i don't i don't know like I, 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 and I still think Face ID is kind of half baked. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Ten years into the iPhone, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm maybe questioning that more than I used to. 
still a good company. They still, uh, the vast majority of my uh, time for screens in a day is, is as an Apple logo on the back, but I don't know. I think most though of what's changed over the last 10 years hasn't necessarily been their culture or their motivations. It's really just been their scale. They just they when you operate at the scale that Apple does now, there's just inevitably going to be more things they get wrong and more things that they need to improve. I mean, 10 years ago they did such a limited number of things that there just wasn't as much to be unhappy about or as much for them to screw up. And now there's a gajillion different things that they could they could do wrong. They couldn't have done wrong 10 years ago because it didn't even exist. I mean, we're we're complaining about iCloud storage capacity. 10 years ago iCloud wasn't a thing. So then I guess so so uh, to, uh, going back to the themes that we talked about last episode, so that that speaks to the maturation of a company like this. So how does this not make them like GE? Like so how doesn't that the fact that they've grown exponentially and do more things and have more divisions and that kind of stuff and their product offering is more diverse and, and and larger how does that not make them like a more traditional regular gigantic company well because i do still think that they say no more often than yes like ge has sort of gotten into everything over time i i don't think apple's ever going to go that way i mean yes we we like to laugh sometimes at their kind of excessive product lineups and different options that you have now. But but by and large, they're still a really, really focused company that when you take a step back only makes a handful of different things. And I think that's that's where they really can differentiate themselves and prevent themselves from becoming a, a GE or some other kind of stale, more mature company. Okay. I, I, I think... I think that that's fair, or that, or that's a comp- the the narrow product focus. I think that that is a pretty. They're not making washing machines, and they're not making um, robot vacuum cleaners like Samsung. They're still <laughs> right. they're still because what was it? It was it was it Johnny Ive or Steve Jobs or Phil Schiller? Who was the one that said like all of our products fit on this one table? It was one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think it still does. Yeah, yeah. Now, if Munster got his way, the TV probably wouldn't fit on the table. <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't do it. Maybe fifty percent to, to, to screw over Gene, uh, other fifty percent to keep that that one old quote alive. Well, they would just they would just push the table up against the wall and wall mount the TV. Yeah, but that, mm, that, that's <laughs> yeah, that's a technicality. I don't think I don't think the Jeopardy judges would allow that. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. you see the gangster thing. I'm sorry. There was a Jeopardy question where um, on a, a couple of days ago, and I think this got fairly popular, but uh, the the respondents said uh, "Gangsters Paradise," speaking about that n- mid '90s song from Coolio, and he got uh, no points or he got no money because he didn't say "Gangsters Paradise." It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, just in the same way, like last year, somebody got uh, points deducted for saying uh, "Sherbert" rather than "Sherbet." Oh well, that that's just wrong. It is as 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 you heard the Jason. Yeah, I, thing, yeah, the Jason I, 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 I did. Yeah. I did listen to that at your recommendation. Please, please put that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. That was was that a that was a robot or not? Yes. Which apparently they, after twenty episodes, I think they abandoned the premise and they're just talking about something or something. <laughs> uh, can, can I can I ask you to help me just think through something real quick? Uh please. Okay, so this is something I already asked you in, in our online, offline thing. Uh, maybe you can tell me to figure something out. So I'm trying to figure out a way to get all the stuff in Lightroom 
available on my phone and I can't figure out how to do it. So I've tried a couple of things so far and none of them has worked the way I wanted to. So Google Photos, so I have a Google Apps account or whatever's the thing where you do your own domain name. And I created a separate account and made a Google Photos account only for my Lightroom documents. I thought, you know what, this is amazing. You can, because now Google Photos has shared libraries where you can share with another one. But that's not really working the way I want to because it has to reload the entire library every time you open it, which can take like a full minute. So that's not working for me. And then I signed up for, and, and this is something that is, is, was probably ill-advised. I signed up for Dropbox for Business, which they force you to buy three licenses uh, to qualify as a business. And the reason to do that is they have a feature called SmartSync, which allows you to have a folder on your computer where you can choose on a folder by folder basis whether or not the files are actually locally on your computer. Right. So I was able to put all the files there, um, but it still doesn't work that well. Because the because ever since they because Dropbox used to have an app on iOS called Carousel and they discontinued that and now like the actual like it's just viewing a folder by year with like thousands of photos on Dropbox right so that's not working either and then there's a service called Up There which is made by somebody who was who was <laughs> that's the that's the that's the Target house brand right <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give you a golf clap for that <laughs> okay one. thank you uh. Yeah, so it was made by who? Somebody. Somebody who used to work at Apple uh, made it. And it's actually pretty good, um, but it doesn't sync. Like, it it allows you to, like, drag a folder of stuff onto it. And I actually really like the iOS app, and it, and it works nicely, and, it, and it's pretty great. But it doesn't sync. So, therefore, like, I can't just tell Lightroom to publish, like, my catalog as JPEGs and have it sync. So, that's that's also a problem. And also, up there was not very successful, so they got purchased by Western Digital this past summer. So I assume if I continue to use this service, uh, it will be uh, what's what's the phrase Silicon Valley always uses when they discontinue something? Sunsetted. Yeah, I think up up there might get sunsetted into the. <laughs> uh, yeah. So up up there uh, up up there might go down there. <laughs> boo! No. Uh, I no. felt like I was on a roll there and just needed to keep it going. Uh, you got greedy. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, you I, just blew yourself. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that's still yeah. that's still my p one of my favorite lines from that show. My mine is one that I my, uh, I won't say it, but I I enjoy the name of the boat is I think uh -huh. one of my favorite ones. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> does Lu, does Lu, does Lucille say I'm right here <laughs> or like what is? I, uh, we're not we're I, not looking this up. I, I think something like that. Yeah, and then and the the rare the rare funny moment from season four is when <laughs> Siri pronounces Job's name Gob. It's really it's really good. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, okay. So so back to your, your so yeah. So what what do I do here? I so well so I've I've already the only suggestion I made to you, which I I don't know anything about because I never tried using it, but I, I thought that as part of being a Lightroom subscriber. I thought they had some fully fleshed out mobile solution. Is that is that not the case? So they have Lightroom mobile on iOS, but Adobe's whole strategy on on iOS is weird. And the thing is, you only can do that if you're a Creative Cloud subscriber. And I still have a perpetual license to Lightroom Six, so therefore I just I. I but if I guess if I this see. if this mobile solution was what you were looking for, wouldn't the cost of Creative Cloud be worth it? No. 
Okay. Yeah. And the things I, I think just in terms of reviews and stuff I've read, I don't think it really solves my problem. Because like the, the easy thing that one could do here is just export my entire catalog as, as JPEGs and dump it into photos.app. But then I have now 10,000 photos clogging up my smartphone well, and wouldn't, phone, and, a photo and, library. And wouldn't you, you'd have to continually do that as you took new photos, right? Yeah. So I'd have to set up like a, a weekly OmniFocus task to like export my photos. And that seems not ideal. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not totally opposed to that, but I, I can't think of anything good. I really thought Google Photos was going to be the silver bullet, but it isn't. It's funny that you, um, it, it, the thing that resonated with me when you asked me about this was that I think of photos exactly the same way. Like when I've uh, organized photos just in folders um, on the on the Synology and, and previous to that other backup solutions, I've always separated out not only by year and event, but then also by camera. So for example, mm-hmm. with like the houseboat trip that I've been on many years where I'll bring, you know, so sometimes I've brought like a, a nicer standalone camera. Sometimes I've just had my iPhone, but then I'll also frequently have the waterproof camera that I've had. And I've always kept those photos separate. Like that's, it always just makes sense to separate out by camera. So I, I totally get what you're, I, I totally get your motivation here, but yeah, I don't, don't, don't have a perfect solution. Dang. And it, and it's it, it's definitely not one of those things that iCloud in any way is going to be motivated to fix because they I mean they just want you to use your iPhone camera for everything. Yeah, and and that's at the, and again for all for all the hate, um, like or, or the the difficulties I can have all over this kind of stuff. Like iCloud Photo Library is, to my knowledge, I haven't actually like who knows it might be eating my pictures to a week. I have no idea. I would never really know. Um, like it, iCloud photo library works pretty well, but it is, yeah, I do enjoy that separation where I don't, I don't know. I just kind of don't want like a bunch of nice or like, or like more intentionally shot photos clouding out like a bunch of pictures of receipts and just random stuff I took with my iPhone. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Like why I like none of my smartphone photos are in Lightroom. Yeah, just... exactly. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if anybody has any ideas uh yeah, please write to me i'd be curious to know what the shortcomings in that creative cloud solution are uh yeah let's go along okay we'll, we'll do two two quickies and then uh probably get to the end so are you familiar oh sorry one other thing following up on the on the battery thing so over the holidays and just like uh like did you meet up with any family over the holidays or no i did so did the battery thing come up at all like was it a big enough story that kind of broke through? No, it it wasn't. The only tech story that broke through was the whole the cryptocurrency thing, which I know you, oh, which I know you love so much. Um, but no, are the, you talking to your grandma out of buying, <laughs> buying a bunch of Bitcoin cash or some Ethereum? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm telling her to yeah, you d- dump all the mutual funds, <laughs> just put it put it all into Bitcoin. Trade that robot vacuum cleaner. Uh huh. Right. Oh no no. Load some uh, blockchain technology onto it and use the robot vacuum cleaner to mine for Bitcoin. See, yeah. Now, now, now you're onto something. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I've been wondering how because like just yeah with the media coverage and just uh, I know my um, interaction with uh, people on this is probably colored differently, but um, yeah, I I want to know how far this story is broken out so we'll continue to see i think it i mean i think it's definitely broken through to the mainstream and i i think what you alluded to with what marco's been talking about it's 
it's going to take a really, really, really long time for it to go away. And also just logistically, like how many thousands and thousands of people are going to descend on their Apple stores asking for a battery. I, I like that, that just seems Apple like a logistical can, nightmare. It it does. But that, that seems like a, that seems like a very, very solvable problem compared to the PR nightmare they have. Well, but I think, I think that contributes to the PR nightmare in the sense that you have a whole bunch of extra people in your store there only to service a battery that has a difficult to describe flaw. So therefore, the other people in the store, like I, I like I don't think they're going to be telling like, oh no, don't buy an iPhone to everybody who's who's shopping for something. But I think that's I think it's awkward. Yeah. All right. Are you familiar with Movie Pass? I am. Yes. This actually this this also came up during the holidays. Actually, are you a member of it? I I'm I'm not a member of it though. No. Although the more I think about it, the 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 more I I don't understand why I'm not a member of it yet. <laughs> Um, does it apply to movie theaters in your area or the ones you like to go to? It does. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So movie pass, how much did it cost before the summer when they, do you remember? Yeah. So the, the, um, the New York times article that we'll put in the notes, I was, was reading that earlier and they, they had a good, um, summary of the historical pricing as I delay in, in trying to find it here. That's yeah, a long article. Uh, MoviePass, which began around 2011, struggled to gain traction in its early years because of pricing. $50 a month, later lowered to $35 a month, and pushback from exhibitors who were worried about subscription revenue would undermine ticket pricing. There we go. So, and this was started by one of the co-founders of Netflix. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's 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 tricky. Um because this seems like one of those things that's kind of good for consumers, but I, is it? I don't know. So it's a service where you can pay $100 up front for a year, and you can see one movie a day at participating theaters, which seems like a good deal, and I keep I keep going back and forth on it. But um, their point is that they argue that it's it's filling like unsold inventory, and they're paying the theater owners a standard like face price for the tickets, so therefore, why do they care? But the theater chains, their opinion is that um, subscription viewing like this with a subscription price that is less than the cost in many cases of a face value ticket uh, kind of cheapens the experience. And if the subscription service goes away or something happens, that what does that do to overall like movie going rates in the future and stuff like that yeah that, and that's that's exactly the the issue is whether or not this is a sustainable business or not and it i mean i i know that their whole premise is that the underlying data that they're going to be able to provide at theaters is going to provide enough value for them to ultimately then maybe reduce ticket prices that they pass along to movie pass but i just i don't know i'm i'm skeptical of that like the, this service to me makes a lot more sense at something like $35, $40 a month than it does at $10 a month. But would you be considering it at $35 or $40 a month? I don't think I personally would be, but that's just based on the number of movies that I see. I think people who are more into movies than me w probably would. But I don't, I don't know. Maybe they didn't. I mean, that's maybe that's why they are where they are now. But 
um i ten dollars is i just it's that's just not the right price yeah kind kind of seems like a like a no, I was gonna. Kind of seems like Uberish, just in the sense yeah, that like right. it, they're having to price it super aggressively to drive, no pun intended, like mar- like inroads into the market. Like it, it, if if it's if it's priced at the actual cost of the good or like a sustainable rate where everybody all around is making at least a like a, a reasonable amount of money, that's probably too expensive to get that type of system going. So yeah, I don't know. I assume I'll, I'll eventually sign up, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's like one of those things where it's it's like, well, well you'd be a fool not to, but uh, who knows? Um, one thing I, I'll say is, and this is movie theater related. We we saw saw a movie over the the holiday break and went to one of those theaters where yeah, they've got like the fancy reclining seats, mm-hmm. which which I we've I've been to before, but it's been a little while between reserving your seat and then having a more comfortable seat that really does make a a big difference in the the movie going experience was this in northern california or southern california this was in northern california hmm yeah i think i think that's tricky or i I think that's interesting because i think like in southern california there's a there's like a line of theater chains that's actually really nice called the arc light that does something similar to that but then i think you can kind of go on the like too far down the other end of the spectrum and then you have like that alamo draft house place see I, I i like alamo draft house too i don't think it's bad but i think like just uh, other people like eating around you that doesn't annoy you at all no i alamo draft house sets it up really smartly it's the uh, my biggest concern I've, I've only seen one movie there but my biggest concern going into that was that it was going to be distracting and i totally did not find that to be the case and in fact with this theater that we went to over the break they, they did not sell food or drinks outside of just you know your standard theater fare the the thing that was really great is that you know how in regular theaters it's like the the aisle way in between rows is really narrow this was set up in such a way where even when people had their seat fully reclined there was still tons of space between each row which i thought was also really smart so it was like you had more you obviously had way more room just sitting in your seat but then the people who were walking around you also had more room, so it's kind of like the best of both worlds. It's gonna be tricky because I, I assume eventually I don't like I don't know when the contracts expire, but like no theater owner in their right mind would actually renew the contract after this is done, right? Because like isn't AMC already trying to sue them? No, well that's that's the thing. There there's no there's no contract here. The movie pass is literally just just buying the tickets and then passing them well, on but, to. But then but then how is then how are there theaters that don't participate? Like, because you can't just go to any theater. Well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I don't. Yeah, I guess I don't know that part. Because I know that's been the whole thing with um, AMC theaters, where they're like, "Well, yeah, like we if we, if we knew it was going to be this price, there's no way in hell we would have signed up for this." Maybe, so maybe I, okay, yeah, maybe maybe there is some type of integration that needs to be consented to. Yeah, because to my knowledge, the whole thing is you you choose the theater you're going to go to and the movie you want to see, and basically your movie pass card is like a a prepaid debit card and they immediately transfer the value of the movie theater ticket onto it. And then you buy the movie ticket. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get one. Yeah. I, I, I've been kind of, kind of curious about it. Yeah. I, every time I go see a movie uh, in the theater, I actually end up being like, yeah, it's a great, pretty good experience. Or I do, I do prefer the, the social pressure of not being able to touch my phone for two hours. That and, but, but the, the, 
the thing that I really kind of need now when you when I go see a movie is is a reserved seat. That once you once you start going to theaters with that, it's it's tough to go back. Yeah, but also, but I, you're you when you watch movies, you generally like the movies where you want to see it really soon when it comes out. Right? Yeah, that that's true. That's that's a good point. Yeah, which which is good. I mean, because because then you're fighting against spoilers. For me, like whenever I actually do eventually go into a theater, I do not care if the movie's been out three or four weeks. I will go to the, uh, the what is an undesirable time for most people because I I prefer the, like the emptiest theater possible. And it's, but it's also tricky that with uh, movie theaters these days, your TV at home has better black levels than the projector. I I have noticed that. They the what's been on my list though is at the um this is getting real inside baseball here, but at the the Metreon here in San Francisco, they have one of those uh Dolby Cinema theaters. Have you heard about these? That's different than IMAX. Yes. So this is okay. it, it's a regular sized screen. But it's a like apparently like a super high resolution display that Dolby's engineered, and then it also has the whole Dolby Atmos surround sound system. There's only like I don't know thirty or forty of these like in the entire world, and then the Metreon's got one of them. I've been I've been kind of curious to check that out. There there used to be, um, I don't know if this is this must not still be a thing, but at the at certain theaters. They used to have these like DLP uh, screens that were yeah, that were that... higher resolution, and I, I always remember like that stood out way more to me than even like IMAX ever did, just because the screen was such a higher quality. So I, that's why I'm kind of interested in that Dolby thing. It's like bigger screens aren't necessarily interesting, but I think higher quality screens with better sound, I think that that's potentially pretty cool. So I've been, I've been wanting to check that that out. Is IMAX a Dolby thing as well, or no? I don't think so, no. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's, it's possible that they're like a partner or a supporter of it or something, but I, I don't think it's that's like them. Got it. Okay. And then the last thing I think I have is... Uh, this is a story that I don't, I don't think I actually ever put in the thing, but um, it's more of a generic question about remote places and like national parks and uh self-service and like being able to like leave the rest of the world away so i think let me let me send the link just in case um so basically it a lot of people are fighting against uh new cell towers and expansion of wireless communication stuff in more remote places and national parks because the two schools of thought are either that like this is like the great outdoors and hopefully you can leave your technology behind. And if cell service is kind of crappy, then you know what, just enjoy the outdoors. And then other people do and like the, the key alternative opinion is that first responders and like emergency services, like it, having strong, reliable cell service is really important to that type of thing. And also people like just if, if they want to enjoy national parks in a certain way and they want to stream video and upload Instagram live stuff or whatever it is, that's their that's their prerogative and, and more power to them. So, since we're blessed in Northern California with kind of a lot of uh, good open space and and stuff nearby, what is your opinion on this? I I tend to lean towards the side of building more cell phone towers. Hmm. I I don't I don't find cell phone towers to be particularly disruptive, and I I think 
artificially constricting people's ability to be able to use their smartphones and things seems like I just because you don't want people to be snapping or instinct or whatever doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to like I, I don't know that seems that seems a little a little harsh like I I I I I understand the the sentiment and I like I don't think somebody's completely off base for for thinking that way or or wanting that but artificially constricting cell phone access to achieve that doesn't seem like the right answer. That's probably the right answer. But yeah, it's it's tricky. It's it's challenging and actually the the houseboat trip that I've that I've mentioned on the show and and others is a good example of that where when we first started going a decade ago there there was no cell phone service even like in the marina where we would pick up the boat so from really the time that you got close to the lake all the way to when you left you literally had no cell phone service but now there are parts of the lake you where you still don't get service but i would say a majority of the lake especially like in the central sections we now get like perfect lte service um which, you know, like for, so for me, like what I choose to do is I still just put my phone in airplane mode that whole week because it is like my week to, to get away. So, you know, I, even though I, I do kind of understand that even having access to it sort of changes the experience. Like I, I don't think I would want that access to be artificially constricted. Like if that, that's, if, if technology is progressing in a way where we can have cell phone access in more places, then that's, the, the the pros probably outweigh the cons. That seems like a sensible answer, and I wish the entire American public was as courteous and responsible and, and respectful as you. <laughs> but unfortunately, most people are not, which is what makes the alternative kind of appealing, but also overall for the betterment of society is probably not. Uh, one a, a final vaguely related thing: uh, drones in open spaces and. Uh, like national parks, I, that's that's another thing where I, I I'm because it's it's somebody else having one individual allowing to be able to ruin an experience for a whole bunch of other people. Well, I mean, but, Just again, but, if you're if you're hiking drone, up a trail, hold on though. Drone, drones are absolutely not allowed in, in national parks. That's a that's a solve. The, the fines are and penalties around that are pretty severe. Well, no, but there's a whole bunch of other spaces where it's just like you, you will you will see just signs saying like no no drones allowed, like in that kind of stuff. But a lot of people complain about that, saying that like well like why shouldn't I be able to? It's America, so like why why <laughs> what, what impression was that? Just some fucking tech bro. Okay, we got their. I I hate drones so much. That's when you said like uh, what was you said something earlier in the Amazon Target discussion where you said everything's going to come by drone. I was like uh, better not. Mm-hmm. I hate drones. Uh, unless you're getting married in a super remote place and you want to have a, a drone video, you just just drones need to go away. See, I, I don't. Um, I'm I don't, sorry. I don't, actually, you know, no, no, no. Sorry, I don't um, agree with that. Unless you're filming a 4K Apple TV screensaver, <laughs> no drones. I, I see. I don't. I don't agree. I actually. I generally think that the restrictions that we have in place around drones are a little too harsh. Like, if you, if you want to talk about drone restrictions from a safety perspective, I'm a lot more sympathetic to that than. They're just an, a nuisance. There are things way more annoying than drones that are out in public every day. Okay, well, let's start there and let's let's ban motorcycles. Let's ban, <laughs> let's ban loud motorcycles. Let's ban those electric skateboards. Um, 
What else? <laughs> if you were a dictator, what would you ban? You have to give me at least three things. Oh, jeez. I guarantee you can think of things. Vape pens. Um, use, using using FaceTime in public. Why? Or any sort of like video chat in public. Why? Your whole pro cell towers in, in open spaces thing is so people can FaceTime their way up the mountain. <laughs> that that's the type of behavior um, this is going to be a very cell phone centric thing uh, cell phone tables or cell phones at the dinner table should not be allowed that's that's family time you do you mean in a public restaurant or oh, anywhere so if there's food nearby okay so you're banning food photography well mm. no you, you were helping out my business model so i, I approve of this <laughs> I think taking a quick photo is okay, but then remaining on your phone the entire time after that is is not okay. Okay, um, so that that was one and a half, but okay. Um, I don't know. You're you're putting me on the spot here. All right, you weaseled out of it. That's okay. <laughs> All right, uh, that's pretty much it. Spotify is going to try to go public in the next three months. Also getting sued. Um. But I think that's it. It's been a, we're running long. Do you want to jump into chef, uh, chef special? Let's do it. All right. As always, you first. So let me send you the link here. Um, so as you know, the, the latest batch of iPhones have wireless charging, um, and I've I've been sort of vaguely interested in it, but but um, not haven't been like you know dying to try try it out. But this particular um wireless charger it's the senio uh fast wireless charger charging pad stand for iphone 10 galaxy note 8 blah blah blah. it's got one of those great you know names um this was on some flash sale for 15 dollars over the holiday so that's that's how much i got it for and the kind of what I was looking to solve for was so at work, you know, I have one of those elevation docks, which works pretty well because you can dock the phone and pick it up just using one hand because the, the dock is heavy and it's, you know, stays attached to your desk. But I still thought it would be kind of interesting if I could get something similar to that, but it was wireless so that there's literally no like, you know, uh, port that I have to worry about sticking the phone onto. I can just kind of put it down on, on something. And then the other thing with that elevation dock is the phone wasn't quite at the right um, angle where when it was in front of me on my desk, like sometimes face ID would work, sometimes it wouldn't. It, like it was kind of at too severe of an angle. So with this, it sort of solved both issues where now I can just set the phone down and the angle that it's at is like absolutely perfect. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a neat little neat little wireless adapter for, you know, your work desk or some other kind of situation where you have your phone kind of facing in front of you and you don't need to worry about charging it, you know, super fast or anything, because despite what this name name is with the fast charging, I mean, wireless charging is still quite a bit slower than, you know, plugging your phone in. But again, for me, who just kind of has the phone on my desk throughout the day, something like this works really well. So was it only the sale that made you decide on this one or would like to, like, why, why this one? Uh, yeah, it was the sale that, that caught my attention but then i mean it's it's also like the number one um or not i guess it's like it's like the amazon's choice for wireless chargers or something i don't know like the review the reviews were really positive on it so you know the, the combination of that and the price made it sort of a an impulse buy gotcha cool 
but yeah, I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I started off, you know, the description there by saying that I wasn't really all that interested in wireless charging initially, but I think in, in practice, like I, I had bought one of the, the Samsung, you know, charger pads just to kind of play around with on my bedside table for a while. And then now I've got this one, like the wireless charging things kind of, it's interesting. It's not, not super compelling yet, but it, 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 there's something there for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people like are are kind of weirdly skeptical about it, but like it's 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 pretty good. I mean, like it it does what it's supposed to. Like it's it's not like it like sure if it was like actually like wireless charging or like once like furniture starts coming with it, it'd be cooler. But like I mean, it's 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 kind of neat. I think this well, I think the skepticism of of it largely comes from whether or not it's all that much better than just plugging your phone in, and I think that's a valid question. Yeah, but like you know how Jason's been talking about his wife, like how like she like just like it just one day kind of just started sticking. Yeah, like I gotta set my phone down somewhere. Like I th- like that's a surprisingly succinct and compelling case for this. Yeah, well, and that's that's my work example where it's I'm constantly picking up my phone and putting it down, so it it makes it makes sense in that type of case. But it's it'll be a lot more interesting when it's faster and when you can kind of just have your phone in like a general vicinity instead of like on a small little pad. Yeah. Do you have any interest in the air power Matt, when it comes out or what is it called air power? Yeah. I mean, no, I I don't, I don't think so. Not with the, I I made the, the high rise duo or duet, whatever it's called the pick. Didn't I? Uh, Is that the one where there's one slot for the watch, one slot for the phone bedside? Yeah. 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 Um, with with that, no, I, because I like using um, night mode on the watch, and there's mm-hmm. there's no way to do that with the power map. And it seems like the like the air power thing, like it 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 can only be a bedside thing, because otherwise, why else would you want your your watch on it? But it's not a good bedside thing because again, you can't use you can't use night mode, and with the thing that the high rise. Um, stand which I have now which I don't think I mentioned at the time that I made it my pick was because of the way that iPhone's a little elevated and the way that it's angled when I turn over to tap the screen face ID works perfectly mm. um, anyway obviously that would not be the case if the phone was laying flat on a desk I mean that's the number one use case where face ID is just a thousand times worse than touch ID is like mm-hmm. like right now too. Like the iPhone is slightly to my left, flat on the desk. With Touch ID, I could very easily unlock it. With Face ID, there's no way for me to do that without either, you know, turning away from the microphone here or bringing the phone up to my face. Good audio example. Mm-hmm. Or it's a, it's a high quality show we're putting together here. Yeah. Great segue. Thank you so much for that. That's it's like we had it planned. Yeah. So you, okay. So I feel yeah, like right what now, I, what I do now. So I feel like I'm like a subprime auto salesman right now. Like, because like you're somebody who's in so much podcast debt right now. And, and I understand and I'm, and I'm, um, I'm sympathetic to that fact, but I have another podcast recommendation. Oh my God. Just I don't know. Go 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 to the, go to the woods and go to a national park while there's still no download podcast in advance and then listen to this. So there's a, a podcast that I actually like quite a bit with a couple of caveats that was recommended. 
Oh, maybe you, uh, have you listened to this week's 538? I know I haven't yet. <laughs> my, my, again, my, my podcast listening time the last couple of weeks has been very limited. Yeah. So, so listen to that. And then at the very end, you'll get a recommendation about, uh, Jody suggesting somebody listen to a different interview on this podcast. And then I got stuck on a rabbit hole and I was listening to a whole bunch of these, uh, at work. So, uh, there's a longform.com, which has a bunch of like, I think it's like four good articles a day. And they apparently also have a good podcast as well. That's been on for quite a number of years. And they have had a couple of really good interviews recently. Uh, one is with Zoe Chase, who's, uh, Somebody who used to work on Planet Money, but is now doing This American Life. That was a really good interview. They had an interview with uh, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times. That one was particularly good. And then there's one that I think is is very much in your wheelhouse and was really, really, really good, uh, which is with uh, one Mr. Michael Barbaro. So even if you don't want to get hooked on this, and this is one of those podcasts where it's you only listen when it's somebody you care about. So at most, you're maybe committing yourself to like one episode a month. But um, yeah, this was a very, very good hour-long interview where I learned tons about uh, Mikey B. And it was uh, there was a whole lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about the way that The Daily came about, how it's changed over the past year, uh, the considerations that they make for adapting the, um, the reporting of The New York Times for audio form. Um, it was really, really worthwhile. So yeah, I strongly recommend people listen to this. And then if they liked it, uh, go into the archives of the long form podcast and see what you like hmm. yeah that's a that's a good pick yeah i will i will <laughs> i will add this to the net yeah there's like a good three minute segment just on uh how his hums became a thing it's pretty good oh really yeah he's 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 very self-aware he yeah he 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 strikes me as someone who is yeah all right, folks. Well, I think that's it. Welcome back. Hope you had a good holiday and we'll be back next week. Happy New Year.